the worship team. That was great. And a warm welcome if I missed you just before worship. It is always lovely to uh, get together on a Sunday morning. Um, I just wanted to uh, say thank you so much. We've got a little um, gardening team that's gotten together, uh, made up of volunteers from our church to basically help this place, this beautiful ground, to look a whole lot better. And they've, in the past couple of weeks, started ticking away. And so if you happen to be parked out here on the grass or going down to the library or clinic, just have a little look at this bank out the window here and what they've done. They've taken this horrible, old, weedy, ugly space and made it something really beautiful. So thank you, and well done to that team. Um, this whole church runs on people <laughs> serving their time and their gift. And um, if you'd like to be a part of something like that, you can always come and chat to us and let us know. Um, as always, if you want to know details of what's happening in the life of the church, please sign up for our WhatsApp group. We'll be sending out comms this afternoon for what the next couple of weeks and Easter look like um, so you can prepare. But maybe just to um, raise, for you the, raise through what the structure of Hebrews looks like in the next little while. So we're actually covering most of the book of Hebrews this year. But if you've read it and studied it, you know that we'd probably need 150 Sundays to get through it properly verse by verse. And so we're inviting you as a church, if you missed it last week, you can easily catch up, to track along on a little reading app that's going to take you through the whole book of Hebrews with commentary and devotional and Old Testament references. It's a beautiful way to do it. And so we encourage you to do that because that's how you're going to get the, the IV drip feed daily um, into your minds. And maybe that'll be a, a whole lot of help towards the sleep and the rest that we need. And so then it comes down to, well, what are we trying to do on Sunday? And we've crowbarred the book in half. We'll be coming back to uh, from chapter 10 and verse 19 onwards. Um, in the second half of the year, or May-June time, but now we're covering up to Easter and just beyond um, Hebrews 1 to, to chapter 8 or 9 or so, um, but more in a little bit of broad strokes. So next week, Sunday, is in-school holidays, and what we always try and do for as long as we're still able to fit is next week, Sunday, there is one service at 8.30, so if you come to the 8 o'clock you'll be able to have two cups of tea before church starts. Uh, if you come to the 9.30, you'll be able to have one cup of tea and go home. So just for next Sunday, 8.30 only, and we don't have a sermon. We put a few extra chairs out, and it's what we call our Thanksgiving Sundays. If you have joined recently this year, we, don't, we have worship as normal, but then what we have is an open opportunity to say we believe that God speaks to the church for the church, not just through preachers and sermons, but actually through testimonies and thank you God stories and moments that are sitting out there in you. And they're some of my favorite Sundays that we have a year. We have four or five of them in a year. And so maybe God has got a little story of healing or salvation or provision or presence in the last little while that you'd love to share with people. Uh, just keep it to a minute is all we ask. Um, but we're going to do that next Sunday. So please come prepared. Then it's Easter. And we've decided we're, it worked so well last year that we're going to have a Maundy Thursday Eve service and more details on what that is next week and on the WhatsApp, and then two Sunday morning services. So if you're planning family and long weekend and community and all that, Thursday night and then Sunday morning, and we'll be preaching through Hebrews as well. And so that brings us lastly to today. What are we covering today? Well, I thought it would be really helpful to take a few lenses and snapshots about the overview of the book of Hebrews. What is it trying to do? What is it teaching us? And why does it show us that Jesus is the first of us, and why is, it of, of that, of, is that of such importance to us in the way we follow him and worship him? So an invitation to read along in that reading plan every day, because that'll cover the groundwork, but a little bit of an aerial view today of what's going on in the book of Hebrews. Um, as Gavin mentioned last week, we're not fully sure on who wrote it, but what we're very sure of is that the style of writing is quite different to a lot of New Testament letters. It's far more like a sermon or an exhortation than it is a letter. 
It's a very long sermon. So in fact, in fact, I worked out if we were to just read from verse 1 to the end, it'll probably be just under four hours or so in English. So I hope you brought some snacks um, to get you through this morning. We're not going to do that, but see it as a sermon. See it as an exhortation, an urging, and an encouragement from the writer who wants a bunch of Jesus followers to really get something that he believes that they are missing. He's writing to an audience who are facing times of trouble, persecution and hardship, and probably a lot of sleepless nights for maybe different reasons to us, but we can all relate to what it's like to be facing a whole lot of things that have questions and clear and present danger over our lives, and he's writing into the middle of them saying this thing, what you need is Jesus. And in those moments of stress and pressure and crying out for that and going, God, hurry, don't look to other very good things that you used to look to. Don't look to the blessings of Jesus, the things around Jesus, when what we actually have is Jesus. Look to him as the better, the superior, the powerful one, and then he exhorts and encourages for the next few chapters. And so there's an invitation this morning to a group of people trying to follow Jesus to not be looking to things other than him in the moments of trouble and challenge, but to be really looking to him. And so lens number one this morning is word use. The writer is repeating himself and certain words and certain themes over and over and over again. And when you see a writer do this, they're not forgetting themselves, they're not unskilled, they're trying to drive home some very important things. And so, for example, if you were to do a breakdown of repeated words in the book of Hebrews to try and get a lay of the land about what this preacher is trying to preach and encourage into a group of people like us, the most repeated phrase in the book of Hebrews 38 times is the word faith. Have faith. Speak the language of faith to the faithful one who the one is able. 23 times he uses the word blood. 22 times he talks about the word better or greater and Jesus being better or greater than a whole lot of things that were unpacked just now. More than 20 times he talks about sacrifice and covenant, the high priest, the promises of God. 12 times he says God loves to speak. 11 times he says he's the perfecter of our faith, not just the starter but the perfecter. He's the eternal one. And because of that, we can have great confidence. And so view number one of the Google Earth of the book of Hebrews, if we were to look down and go, what is this guy trying to do? And if we just took those repeated words, it might look something like this. Friends, all of you church this morning, we can have deep faith in the very faithful one because his blood sacrifice is better, better than anything we've ever tasted, better than anything we've ever relied on. And the covenant, the promise of that great high priest Jesus has been made, he's spoken to us, he will perfect us, and he is eternal, so we can be a people of great confidence. View number one as we come to the book of Hebrews is to come with faith to the very faithful one who is able and who is capable. The message of the book of Hebrews is exactly that, come to the faithful one. View number two is maybe we can take the very first few words. Have you ever read a fantastic book or watched a movie where you realize at the end that the whole thing was actually given away in sentence number one or paragraph one or picture number one? They actually tell you what's going to happen at the beginning and then unpack it. Well, lens number two of the book of Hebrews actually works like that a little bit as well. Right up in the beginning, the preacher starts with this magnificent claim, and we'll put it up on the screen from Hebrews 1, chapter 1, and it says this. A long time ago, and at many times, and in many different ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. 
the first thing the writer wants you to know, the teasing thing from the book of Hebrews, is we come to a God who is not silent, but a God who loves to speak many times and in many ways. And he's been speaking to us for generations and generations. But, because every good book and movie and story needs a little tension, but in these last days, today, Olive Tree Church Kloof, he's spoken to us with the final word by his son, Jesus. God is still speaking. He's shouting to the world about hope and salvation, about possibility and about change. But the way he's shouting today and every day is Jesus. God loves to speak and he loves to talk about his son, Jesus, who he appointed as the heir of all things through whom he also created the world. The writer now starts boasting about the Alpha Jesus who was there at the beginning through whom this magnificent Word of God created everything around us with all its potential and wonderfulness and awe and beauty around us. He started as the Alpha Word, but he's also the Omega Word, the final one who's going to inherit every bit of glory that the world can ever produce, that the universe can ever produce. The writer's trying to tell us that this Jesus is magnificent from the beginning to the end. He's the last word. He's the first word in creation, but he's also the last word. And then it goes to unpack that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The other thing that Jesus does is not just talk in generalities about the bigness of creativity in the universe and the end security of eternity and what it can mean for us and our salvation, but he also goes, he tells us what God is like for the very first time. We can look at Jesus and know that Jesus is the exact imprint of what God is like. We want to know how he treats the poor, how he treats the unjust, what he thinks about evil, how merciful God is. We want to know how powerful God is. We look at Jesus and see the exact imprint of God and his nature. And lastly, don't forget, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. God loves to speak. God speaks through his son And his words are unbelievably powerful. So lens number one is this repeated theme that the writer of Hebrews, the preacher, is preaching to us over and over again. Don't forget these important things. Lens number two is I want to start with the end in mind, with the zinger of this amazing Jesus. And I want to tell you that Hebrews doesn't stop talking about Jesus the entire way through. That's why it's such an unbelievably powerful and rich book. But then as he finishes talking about the spoken word, the word that God loves to speak, and the fact that he wants to talk to you this morning and shout to you through Jesus. He also, throughout his sermon and throughout his preaching and exhortation, he comes back to five warnings, which is lens number three. And uh, if you want to ask yourself this question, who do you warn? Well, certain kind of warnings like, hey, don't start something to a stranger, might be a little bit of a momentary warning. But the ones who we want to caution, the ones who we want to coach about what life may bring to us, about dangers, about what it means to hold the line, are the ones we love, right? The more we love someone, the more we want to really train them up in the way of things that they should avoid. Why you don't pick up a scorpion, why you don't jump in the pool, kids, when no one's around, why you don't drive on the wrong side of the M13 down Fields Hill. You want to warn people about things that will hurt them. 
And all five of these warnings that this pastor have for his, has, has for his congregation, that this preacher and encourager has for us this morning, are all to do with that spoken word of God. He starts up front by going, God loves to speak. And if you want to know what God's saying, look at the words of Jesus and look at the life of Jesus and pray to the God Jesus and invite that person of Jesus because you'll get used to hearing his voice over and over again. But here are these five warnings that the preacher and encourager in Hebrews gives us. Warning number one is it's really easy to drift away from the word. It is so easy to forget what God has said to us. Things that we've read in Scripture, things that He's promised to us early on in our faith, things that we know we should hold to. Friends, it's easy to drift. Because what we fill our minds with is voices and spoken things and sentences from other things that don't have the same power of Jesus. So He's going, warning number one, don't drift from the Word. I'll read it in a second how He says it. But the other four warnings is, friends, it's easy to harden your heart to the voice of God. Pain and challenge and disappointment invite us to make our hearts hot, but our invitation this morning is to keep our hearts soft to the voice of God, to what He's saying to us. Warning number three is don't be dull to the Word. Don't go, I've heard it, I've read it, I've, I've listened to the podcast. Don't become dull to the Word of God, because as we'll see later, it is this living breathing, active voice that loves to speak. And don't let your senses be dulled to the word by sin or anxiety or the worries that the world will throw to us. Warning number four, don't despise the word when it exposes you and when it's ena. It's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to show us, the voice of God, the spoken word of Jesus is supposed to show us where our thoughts and our actions are not lining up yet, but it's easy to start to despise the voice of God when we realize that that's happening. And finally, the last warning that this preacher gives to us this morning is don't disobey the word. If you know what God's told you to do with the relationships, with where you live, with your calling, with your finances, don't disobey the word because it only leads to pain. And it's more likely to bring the drifting and the hardening heart and the dulling and the despising. So do what God is telling us to do. Three beautiful lenses and overviews about this magnificent book of Hebrews. Let's read warning number one together. He starts with this thing of God has spoken. He said something. And then he says this. Therefore, friends, Olive Cheek Kloof this morning, we must pay close attention to what we've heard. Pay close attention to that voice and that spoken word so we don't drift away from it. For since that message, first declared by angels, proved to be reliable, God loves to send other beings to bring messengers um, to us. But, but this is the final word from Jesus. Every transgression or disobedience receives a just distribution. How would we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? If we hear Jesus calling us this morning... If we hear that God is speaking to us through the life of Jesus and inviting us to come and know him, how could we possibly turn away from that salvation, which was at first declared by the Lord and was attested to those of us who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. A little bit of a teaser for next word, for next week. God speaks his word and many of us have responded to it and experienced it, and known the miracles and closeness of Jesus. And so we want to throw the mic open next week and say, come along and talk about the signs and wonders and miracles. Come and share the gifts of the Holy Spirit that have been distributed to you. Come be a blessing, because it's going to help other people not to drift away from the Word 
of God. It's one thing when a sermon preaches, but what this preacher is saying is make sure those of you who've seen witnesses, seen signs and wonders and witnessed miracles and have gifts of the Spirit, come along and share them next week Sunday. The first thing we see that God loves to speak. The second thing we see, and I've said it already, Jesus is the better word. The better promise than anyone else could make, the better comfort than anyone else could bring. Jesus and his blood are the better word to us. I don't know what kind of stuff is filling your head at the moment. Maybe those of you who've been awake at 2 or 3 a.m. have certain things filling your head. Maybe some of you who are sleeping anyway but are waking up and immediately starting to check the headlines. Man, there's a lot of things that compete for the headlines in our head and hearts. But Jesus is the better word. The creator, the inheritor, what God looks like, and the glorious one. And here's what I love about this opening passage in... um, in Hebrews, the opening chapter, is the writer starts with this wide exhortation of this creator and sustainer and the powerful one that holds it all together by his very word. But then he brings it so beautifully into the personal closeness of Jesus. And so the third point this morning is that Jesus is not just the first of creation, but Jesus is the first of us. And in Hebrews chapter 1, it says God was privileged to send his son into the world, and then it picks up in chapter 2 with the next passage on the screen. Uh, on the screen. So verse, uh, chapter 1 says, He brings His firstborn into the world, and then it continues in chapter 2, the same thought. For it was fitting to God that He, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of our salvation perfect through suffering. For He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call us brothers. And the word there is the word for brothers and sisters. Jesus is not just the first word over creation and the final word into eternity. He's not just the out there sustainer of all things. It says he's sent into the world to become the firstborn of a new family. Where he wants to call us brothers and sisters and isn't begrudgingly doing so, but is proud to be called the firstborn amongst the brothers and the sisters. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus' motivation is not just the powerful creating one and the healing one, but the very personal firstborn to start a new family, proud, not ashamed, to call us brothers and sisters. Man, what a beautiful picture of what's going on. Later on in chapter 1 and 2, the writer will quote this Old Testament verse that says, who are we, God? Why would you even think about us? Who is mankind that you are mindful of him? Who are humans that you would care for us? And the little picture there, because it's easy to miss that and go, what is the writer saying? We're not worthy of this. But it's much more boast about the kind of God we serve. Because if God's mindful of us, that means God's mind is full. He's thinking about you. He's caring about you, and not only is is his mindful, but his heart is full. What is man that you are mindful of him? What is humankind that you care for him, that you love him, that you actually adore him? What a beautiful picture of this big, powerful God that becomes the personal, close God, the firstborn, the brother to many of us. The invitation this morning is come to the powerful God, but also come to the personal Jesus. And that brings us to our last little view this morning, is that not only is Jesus the first word and the first of us,
But the writer wants us to know, and he unpacks this through the next five or six chapters, that this Jesus we come to is so worthy of coming to with our whole heart and mind because Jesus is better. And of course, he's better than the bad things and the sin and the brokenness of the world. But what the writer is trying to remind us is that Jesus is better than a whole lot of good things as well. And so he starts to unpack. And if you were to check through the book of Hebrews with us, you'll see that he goes, Jesus, as Gav said last week, is better than the angels. The angels who brought the message of Jesus for the first time and who brought the prophecies to Jesus' mom, Jesus is better than the angels because he's not just the messenger. He's the very message. He's the story that we've been waiting for. Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than the priestly system that leads to forgiveness. He's better than the Sabbath where God rests because he is rest. He's better than the temple where God's presence used to live because he is himself the presence of God. He's better than the prophets who used to act as God's mouthpiece and speak to us. Jesus is better. And here's the subtle message that I think it's easy to miss from this preacher. Is he's not knocking these very good things that people put their hope in. Wrongly, because Jesus is available. But he's not saying prophets are bad, or the temple was bad, or the priestly system was bad, or the Sabbath is bad. They're all very good things to serve a purpose. But he's saying every single one of them pointed to Jesus, was a forerunner to Jesus, and Jesus is better than them all. And so we don't come to a system of God, we come to God. We don't come to a principle of forgiveness where we need to bring a sacrifice and hope that it was perfect. We come to the perfect Jesus who gave himself up. None of those things are bad, but the choice this morning that he invites us to is this. Do you want the messenger, the podcast, the fantastic preacher who are all very good things, or do you want to know personally the message of Jesus? Come to Jesus. Do you want the sacrifice, or do you want the Son? Is forgiveness the goal, or is knowing Jesus with my whole being the soul? Do I want the temple, that beautiful sanctuary and building with all this wonderful light and power above us, or do I want to know that Jesus is actually making me and you into the temple because he wants to fill us with his spirit? Do I want the rules of God written on stone or paper, or will I allow the spirit to write them on my heart, as it says later in Hebrews? We don't want to go to the things of Jesus, the very good things of Jesus, but miss Jesus himself. We don't want to go to a kingdom and get all the benefits but not know the king if the king's door is open and his invitation has come to me this morning. Maybe you can identify with these readers and listeners in the book of Hebrews who want the things around Jesus. We want kind of the painkiller and antibiotic version of Jesus. Just give me enough to get me through this little blip, God, a little prayer in the morning, a little read here. But the invitation, and we'll end with this this morning, of Jesus is to full-on magnificent open-heart surgery where Jesus dives in and cuts away everything that is unhelpful, dividing bone and marrow, soul and spirit, and actually fully transforming us. And the last encouragement of this overview this morning is this. If you are leaning into the wonderful things of Jesus, but kind of seeing it as the antibiotic painkiller method. Just get me through. Get me through this little bit of brokenness, this little season of not enough. Just get me through, and then on the other end, I'll be okay. I don't think it's the invitation that Jesus makes. 
And the encourager, the writer, the preacher this morning from the book of Hebrews would be saying, when we come to Jesus, come fully open and go, God, I trust you as the big and powerful word who holds it all together, but I also trust you as the personal intimate one who is able to go in and do open heart surgery. Where does that analogy come from? From Hebrews chapter 4, it says this, the last time that we're going to mention the word of God this morning, and it says this, the word of God, remember from chapter 1 that he loves to speak and that he constantly speaks in many times and many ways. The word of God is alive and active sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces to the division of soul and of spirit between joints and marrow and discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Jesus' invitation this morning is if you've known about him, if you've heard sermons and words and things about Sabbath and things about forgiveness, but you've never experienced what it's like to go under the knife of Jesus actually coming in and going, I can take care of sin, I can take care of fear. I can take care of broken identity. I can come and do a deep work in you if you allow my word fully into your mind and heart. That's the invitation that Christ makes to us this morning. And that's why this book of Hebrews is such a beautiful, beautiful look at the life of Jesus. Let's pray. And let's actually pray for a little bit that God would do that this morning. Everyone can keep their eyes shut and uh, heads bowed and just allow a little bit of a personal moment. No one's going to be watching. There's moments of sharing our faith publicly and it's something we should all do, but there's also beautiful private moments of Jesus coming and healing and speaking to you. In my sense this morning, I'm very confident that God is speaking and loves to speak. I'm very confident in God the creator and the sustainer but also the personal big brother, Jesus. And I'm very confident that the word of God this morning is able to pull us out of decades and years of brokenness and pain and sin habit and addiction and fear and depression and and anxiety and worry. There's very good things around Jesus that he gives us to disciple us, but he is also a heart surgeon. And his word this morning is able to fully go into the finest detail and rid us of things that we don't need. And if you're here this morning wanting to receive that gift of salvation and new life and heart surgery from Jesus, can you just open up your hands like you're allowing and fully trusting him to put that scalpel and that anesthetic in your hands? Jesus, would you come in and do a deep work this morning, Lord? Would you pierce deeply into minds and hearts that are broken, that are desperately in need of you, God, would you cut so deeply away brokenness and sin and fear and anxiety this morning by the power of your word that is here this morning, because Jesus has spoken. I am your savior. I want to be your friend. I am your Lord and King. Come to me. God, would you do a profound and magnificent thing as the powerful and personal Jesus here this morning to every one of us whose hands are open to you, the divine surgeon. We love you, Jesus, as the one who speaks. We love you as the one who heals. We love you as the one who is healing and doing your work right here this morning. And we worship you and lean into your word. Help us to love reading your Bible, Lord. Help us to track through that book of Hebrews and to fill our minds and hearts over the next few weeks with that magnificent book about you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, we will see you now for tea and coffee, but next week 
at 8.30 for a fantastic uh, Thanksgiving Testimony Sunday. It's been great to be together, and uh, we'll see you next week.